0: God placed clues all over the Bible to help you see things about Jesus. The festivals of Israel are seven huge ones. Get ready to have your mind blown by what they each reveal. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, here to shut down the enemy's lies in your life. And I do it live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. central at kylewinkler.org live, also available on your favorite podcast platform. Misty is someone who tunes in live. And she was so kind to write to me recently and allow me to share what she said. She said, I've followed you since 2016 and I truly have to say the ministry God put on your heart has helped me in my healing from past trauma reminding me who I am in Christ and the truth of his love consistently has been so key. Eternally grateful. Misty, thank you. I'm grateful for what God is doing in your life and for getting to be a part of it. Of course, I'm also grateful for all of you who help us continue to be here, reaching thousands of people each week. You know, we are entirely donor-supported and your donation of any amount joins you with me in this mission, important mission of sharing God's love and grace with everyone, everywhere. Don't you think they need it? Partner with me, will you? Through your gifts of any amount, you may give it any time at kylewinkler.org donate. Okay, in John five, Some religious leaders were harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules, or at least their interpretation of them. And in his response to their accusations, he says in John, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. The religious leaders in Jesus' day were doing just the thing I did for the first decade of my faith and probably what many of you are still doing. They were taking scriptures as an instruction manual. And so they gauged how pleasing they were to God by how well they lived up to the instructions. When really the scriptures, even the instructions in here and the commandments that are a part of it, they're all meant to point to Jesus. Everything in this book we love was inspired by God to show you that you need a savior and then to show you who he is and what he did and how you get to live because of him. This is the same thing the author of Hebrews said. In the last message, we looked at Hebrews 10.1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow of good things to come, not the good things themselves. Apostle Paul said the same thing to the Colossians in Colossians 2.17. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or not celebrating certain holy days, he says, for these things are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality, he says. Last time we explored the shadow of Sabbath. It's a big one and how it points to the rest that God designed for people to live in. Not just rest one day a week, but eternal rest, a spiritual Eden, which is dependence on God for everything that means anything. Forgiveness, provision, protection, righteousness, your relationship with God. When you really believe that Jesus did what he said he did, well, that allows you to stop laboring for forgiveness and laboring for peace with God and closeness with God and all of that stuff, and just allows you to start living from it. Well, after God spelled out the Sabbath law to the Jewish people, he spelled out festivals, also called feasts, and he gave seven of them. Historically, These festivals were ways for the Jewish people to remember their dependence on God. They didn't realize it at the time, but they pointed forward to what Jesus would do. But today we get to see them as powerful shadows that reflect what Jesus did. And in this message, we're going to go through these seven festivals, at least the highlights of them. And we're gonna especially focus on how each festival reflects Jesus and what it means for you today, too. Now, here's my heads up. This is going to be jam-packed with theology. But there's practicality to understanding it all. Because when you see these shadows for what they are, not rules to keep, but reflections of the Savior, I'm telling you, you will experience a newfound freedom and a love for scripture like never before. Happened to me, I know it'll happen to you. All seven festivals are referenced in Leviticus 23. It's the most comprehensive list of them. So that's where we're going to hang out for this message. Leviticus 23 begins by recapping the Sabbath. Then in verse 4, God turns to the festivals. In addition to the Sabbath, these are the Lord's appointed festivals, the official days for holy assembly that are to be celebrated at their proper times each year. And he goes on to detail them. We're going to go through them. Four in the spring, three in the fall. Now I'm going to show you a graphic that's going to help you get a mental picture of of these festivals. If you're listening to the podcast, I know you can't see the graphic, go to kylewinkler.org, you'll find the video of this message there, you'll see this. But the festivals there that you see on your screen are number one, Passover, number two, Festival of Unleavened Bread, number three, First Fruits, four, the Festival of Weeks, five, the festival of trumpets, six, the day of atonement, and seven, the festival of tabernacles. So keep that picture in your mind or take a picture of it or some way, a screenshot or something so that you can follow along here. Leviticus 23, five. The Lord's Passover begins at sundown on the 14th day of the first month. And that's it. All we get here is one verse about Passover. And that's because it was detailed to the people earlier in Exodus 12 at the same time of the very first Passover. If you've been in the faith for a while, I'm sure that you've heard the term Passover. Jewish people still observe it right around Easter time. It's when Jewish people Remember how God freed them from their slavery to the Egyptians and set them out on a journey toward the promised land. At the very first Passover, each family was to choose a lamb or a goat, firstborn, lamb or goat, with no defects or sacrifice. They were to take some of its blood and smear it on the top of the doorframe and on the sides, which, if you can kind of envision the smearing, it's makes the shape of a cross. God gave some very specific instructions on how to eat the flesh of that sacrifice of the lamb or goat that evening, part of which he said you must eat it in haste. That word haste is going to be important for another festival, so keep that in mind. The reason they had to eat it in haste is because the angel of the Lord was going to come through quickly that night to strike the land of Egypt. But for whoever had the blood smeared on the door, the angel would pass over. Hence the name Passover. And of course that happened. Egypt was struck that night. The people of God were saved by the blood, not the bell, the blood, and they were set free. So the yearly celebration of that day known as Passover began on the 14th day of the first month, which happens for us today, end of March, early April time frame. So surely you can see some of reflection of Jesus in the Passover. The Bible describes him as the Lamb of God. He was the firstborn like lambs had to be. He remained sinless, so he met the free of defect rule. He was sacrificed, and his blood was shed on a cross. So that those who have applied it, which is to mean believe it, they are free. Free from sin, free from judgment, free. Passover is a shadow of salvation in Christ. And every time someone places their faith in Jesus, Passover is kept spiritually. Back to Leviticus 23. In verse 6, it says, On the next day, the 15th day of the month, you must begin celebrating the festival of unleavened bread. It was to last seven days. And the key part of this festival is what the verse continues to say. During that time... The bread you eat must be made without yeast. Other translations call it unleavened bread, hence the title of the festival. Unleavened bread, so specific. And if you don't know the Passover story, you might just think it's some requirement God made for the fun of it. Remember when I said to take note of the word haste in the Passover story? They had to eat their meal in haste and when the Lord passed over they had to leave egypt in haste that meant there was no time to add yeast leaven to their bread they couldn't wait for it to rise so during this festival their focus for 7 days they couldn't eat leavened bread their focus for 7 days was being leavenless or yeast less and that's hugely significant first of all in scripture Leaven symbolizes both sin and the law. First Corinthians, Paul references sin and says a little leaven affects the whole loaf. In Galatians, he's warning people about teaching that returns them back to rules and sacrifices, back to law, and he says that false teaching is like yeast that spreads through the whole dough. Okay, so during this festival of unleavened bread... The Jewish people had to ensure they didn't add yeast to their bread. And some people make this representative of how we need to work real hard not to add sin to our lives. But that's not a reflection of Christ. That's more law. The reflection of Christ is that first Christ was the bread of life and he remains sinless, so it is a direct reflection of our sinless Jesus. But second of all, it's that Jesus removed the leaven from our lives. It's that we remain leavenless. He did it by fulfilling the law so that breaking the law isn't held against us anymore, that's one way. Second way is on the cross, he was the sacrifice that brought the once for all forgiveness of sin. But third, we can remain leavenless less because we received a new nature. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that he took our sin and gave us his righteousness. Other New Testament verses say our sin nature was cut out of us. So get this, please get this. The seven day feast of unleavened bread that Israel celebrated for many, many years was established so that you would look back at it with the hindsight of Christ and see Him and see how He made you leavenless, sinless, clean, unable to be corrupted at your core. Sure, there are things that you can do that are considered sin, but those things don't change your who. They can't change your nature. You aren't a slave to sin because you don't have that nature anymore. You've been freed by the blood of the Lamb, freed into righteousness because righteousness is your new nature back to leviticus in leviticus 39 it recounts how when god's people finally entered the promised land priests were to offer a bundle of grain from their first harvest and wave it before the lord as an offering and they were to continue doing this one day each year shortly after the festival of unleavened bread It's called the First Fruits Festival. And it was a way to acknowledge that God alone delivered them from Egypt and brought them to the promised land. In other words, it was a way for them to acknowledge their dependence on God. That he freed them, provided for them, that he brought them to his promise. Yet again, a shadow of Jesus. For all of those things, our freedom, our provision, all of God's promises, We depend on Jesus. Scripture says in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. Yes and amen just means yes, they are done. And we agree with it. They're yours. Nothing to work for. Forgiven? Yes. Accepted by God? Yes. Pleasing to God? Yes. Righteous? Amen. These qualities about you are the fruits of what God did for you. Not what you could do for yourself. You can't achieve any of that yourself. We die trying. It's what the law was meant to show. And it's what God intended for us to see by looking back to the First Fruits Festival. So let me recap here, these first three, so far, what they mean, because it's going to help you understand the next one. Passover represents your salvation by the blood of the Lamb. The festival of unleavened bread reflects how salvation in Christ removed the leaven from your life so that you were no longer spiritually affected by sin. The festival of the first fruits is the acknowledgement and thanks to God that this was all done because of his work, not our effort. He brought us to this freedom himself, and he alone keeps us in this freedom. We are saved by grace and maintained by grace. His work in our lives then has allowed us to be recipients of the most amazing thing ever. And that brings us to the festival at the center of them all. In Leviticus 23, it's called the festival of the harvest or the festival of weeks. That's because as you'll read in verse 16, the people were to begin this festival seven weeks plus one day after the last festival. I'll do the math for you. That's 50 days after the previous festival, and this is a clue to what we call it today. The word for fiftieth in Greek is pentecostos. It's Pentecost. As you read, you'll see that during this one-day feast, people were to bring the first harvest of grain to the Lord including two leavened loaves of bread. Now it's leavened. Scripture was sure to dictate it. It says, bake them with yeast. Bake the bread with yeast. I'll share why that's significant in a minute. At the same time, they were to make animal sacrifices and bring it all before the Lord. So if you're keeping track, they were to bring their harvest, their grain, their baked leavened bread, their best animals, And this was all a way of giving gratitude to God for the entirety of their harvest, the festival of the harvest. So how does this all reflect Jesus? Well, you might remember that it was the first Pentecost after Jesus resurrected that each believer gathered in the upper room received the infilling of the Holy Spirit for the first time. Everything that Jesus came to do was culminated in this event. In other words, the giving of the Holy Spirit is the harvest of all of his work. For one, his sacrifice cleansed people so that the Spirit could live in each person forever. Secondly, his sacrifice made a way for all people to be cleansed, reconciled to God, and to receive the Holy Spirit, not just Jewish people but Gentile people too. This was part of the harvest. I believe it's what the leavened bread they were to bring symbolizes that God would include in his family people that some people even considered contaminated. I encourage you to reread the book of Acts with all of this in mind. You're going to see how what happened on Pentecost and the five experiences of the Holy Spirit being received by different people groups throughout the book of Acts, how it reflects just what I said. You'll read about how Pentecost was the fulfillment of the prophecy that God's Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. You'll read about how the Jewish people were later shocked to see that even the Gentiles could receive the Spirit. You'll read how God told them not to call unclean what he calls clean. This is the harvest, the fulfillment of what Jesus came to do. Friend, Pentecost means that with your faith in Jesus, you are as clean and qualified to house God's spirit as anybody else. You're as clean and qualified as your favorite preacher, as clean and qualified as the Pope. It doesn't matter if you have a Jewish heritage or you have a prostitute's heritage. The harvest is about everyone, all flesh, regardless of what kind of flesh everyone who believes is brought in made clean and infilled with god's spirit ooh i could go on and on and on with that point it's praise provoking and maybe that's why the next feast is called the festival of trumpets back to leviticus the lord said to moses give the following instructions to the people of israel on the first day of the appointed month in early autumn you are to observe a day of complete rest. It will be an official day for holy assembly, a day commemorated with loud blasts of a trumpet. What stands out about this one day festival is what's in the name the blast of the trumpet, the blast of victory. I used to play the trumpet in school. Let me tell you, you can't get any sound of it without a lot of energy. Trumpets are loud. They're boisterous. It takes energy to make them that way. (laughs) Sounds a whole lot like praise. If you were to look at where the Feast of Trumpets lands on the calendar, you'll see that it's the first three of fall festivals. This day is also known as the Jewish New Year. There are a couple ways to see this today. A lot of people look at this as a symbol of what's yet to come. The word trumpet is also used in First Thessalonians 4.16 regarding the second coming of Christ. That's why people look at it as a future thing. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, maybe you've heard the verse, it says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven and with a trumpet blast, the dead in Christ rise first. And therefore... People believe the Feast of Trumpets represents what's yet to happen, the second coming of Christ. I can get down with that, certainly. But I also see this feast as the reflection of the victory won by Jesus, the celebration of forgiveness of sin, the celebration of the Holy Spirit inside of anyone who believes, and the celebration of what all of that means that the enemy is defeated. You see, in its earliest forms, the trumpet was not considered a musical instrument, it was considered a device that signaled communicated a message for religious or military purposes. At the time of the New Testament, in the Roman culture that Paul was in and educated in, the trumpet was used during what's called triumphal processions. I've taught on this before. A triumphal procession is the Roman parade that Paul called to mind in Colossians 2:15 when he said that Jesus on the cross disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and shamed them publicly by their victory by his victory over them on the cross in a triumphal procession a victorious country paraded the defeated enemy's leader naked through the streets stripped him of his clothes and his weapons paraded him to show the people look he's no longer a threat And in Rome, trumpets were played during that parade. It was a signal of victory. I believe that's a big thing that this Feast of Trumpets symbolizes us for us today. It's a reminder of the victory that Jesus won on the cross. Victory over sin, death, and the devil. That none of us have to fear it anymore. It's done. It's finished. And that brings us to the sixth festival, which happened just nine days after the Feast of Trumpets. It's the Day of Atonement. In Leviticus 23, verses 26 through 32, it is spelled out as a single-day feast in which sacrifices would be made for the forgiveness of sins of Israel. Now, earlier in Leviticus, these sacrifices are detailed. They were to include two goats. One would be sacrificed as a sin offering to the Lord. The other, the scapegoat, would be led out into the wilderness to carry away the sins of the people. And this was the day every year when God's people were freshly atoned, put at one with him. Here again, many people see this as a symbol of the future day when God's people will be permanently put at one with God. And I see that. Okay. But do you know what else I see? I see what John the Baptist saw when he first saw Jesus at Jesus' baptism. In John one twenty nine, when he saw him, he proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus as the Lamb on the cross is the reflection of the two sacrificial goats or lambs. The book of Hebrews says that his death on the cross was the once for all sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that the cross was the moment when God stopped counting people's sins against them. Or as John put it, the sins of the world were taken away and God and people were reconciled. Now this doesn't mean that everyone is saved. Salvation still takes belief on our part, but it does mean that the work of God's part, the work on God's part is finished. Just as Jesus said it was when he announced it is finished from the cross. I believe the festival day of atonement points to the final day of atonement, which is the cross. When humanity was put at peace with God because of Jesus' sacrifice, when he took away the sins of the world, the Day of Atonement stands today to remind you that because of Jesus, God doesn't have anything against you anymore. He's not holding your sin against you, not from the past, not from the present, not from the future. Sin was dealt with on the cross. God is at peace with you. You are at peace with God. That means he's not mad at you. He's not out to get you. It means that God is good and you are good with God, as I often say. You are at one with him, atoned. Okay, we finally made it to the seventh and final festival that's outlined in Leviticus 23. This one happens five days after the Day of Atonement. It's called the Festival of Shelters or the Festival of Tabernacles. It's a seven-day festival in which the people presented offerings and branches and leaves from what the Bible says is magnificent trees. They offered them to the Lord from these magnificent trees. But here's what's so distinct about this festival. In verse 42, it says, For seven days you must live outside in little shelters. You must live outside in little shelters. Other versions say tents. These little tents were little tabernacles. Hence why this feast is also called the Feast of Tabernacles. In Israel's history, a tabernacle was the tent of meeting where the presence of the Lord dwelled. Back then, while Israel was in the wilderness, if they wanted to get close to God, They needed to get close to the tent because he was inside the tent. Well, on this festival of tabernacles, God had them each set up their own tents to remind them of their time in the wilderness. Again, some people see it as something yet to be fulfilled when every tribe, nation, and tongue will dwell with God forever but I see it as a reminder of God's presence with us right now. Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's true for everyone, even unbelievers. He's among us. But for believers, because of everything he's done, cleansing us of sin and dwelling in us, each of us are tents of meeting. Each of us believers are tabernacles that house his spirit. So the remembrance of this feast should put you at rest knowing that you don't have to strive to be close to God anymore. His presence isn't only in one place at one time that you have to come close to. And you can't repel his presence either. Not with sin, not with lethargy, not with anything. God is in you. He can't get any closer and he's not going any farther. So do you know what believing that does? It puts you at rest. As we explored in the last message, the truth of rest, eternal rest, spiritual rest, is what Sabbath is all about. It's the spiritual return to Eden. And I believe that's why the Feast of Tabernacles was the last of seven feasts. God permanently rested from his work on the seventh day. Seven is a number that represents completion. And because of Jesus and all he did, we too are at rest no more pressure, no more proving, no more pretending. All seven festivals do what Jesus said the entirety of Scripture was designed to do. They each point to him. That was a lot. And I know you're going to want to re-listen to this because I'm sure you'll pick up more revelation each time that you do. But for now, let me tell you how I can help you go on this message, specifically to take this gospel truth and to apply it for rest for your body and soul. I taught a series that I called the gospel, the simple cure for life's most common symptoms. The message of Jesus and what he did, what's called the gospel message, well, that's a cure of sorts for things like fear, guilt, shame, offense, even loneliness. In this five-message audio series, I show you how to both understand the gospel and apply it in the way to help you with those things. The Pill" series is available to download on five MP3s at kylewinkler.org slash gospel. That's kylewinkler.org slash G-O-S-P-I-L-L. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember, God is good and he is for you. And we're here for you too each and every week on my website at kylewinkler.org, on our podcast and wherever you get social media. And don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. Share it with your friends too. I'll see you next time.